Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Well, this morning, we're going to be in, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 3. We've actually, over the last year, I've kind of made it a, a purpose to stay in the Gospel of Luke as much as I possibly can. That way, we haven't actually gone through it verse by verse, but over the just the length and the breadth of, of these messages, that we really, really see Luke's heart in writing. And uh, it, just in case you haven't been here for some of that, his purpose in writing um, is to, in a gospel, really the purpose of every gospel is just to declare the good news of Jesus. And he did it in a very unique way. Uh, Luke was a doctor by trade and then just by uh, the will of God that he actually became a gospel writer. It isn't something that he set out to do. And as a matter of fact, he, he was not wealthy. That he was actually His ministry was funded by a guy by the name of Theophilus, and that name means lover of God. So however good your name is, his name's better because his is lover of God, and everybody would know it. So uh, he was funded by Theophilus, and, and uh, just to let you know that that's I've really thought about it, and I've prayed about it, really since the Lord wants us to stay in, in the Gospel of Luke as much as we possibly can. Now, of course, we go to other places in the Bible, but and we're not going to be able to expound a everything that, that that gospel has but my hope is that over this past year and it's, we're we're in the final stretches of this year that you've really um just learned at, at the feet of Jesus and then through the writings of Luke well before we jump into the text we're, we're going to get there eventually um but but I wanted just to tell you about a story first I, I heard a story recently that during the Iraqi war that a senator had received this this letter from a man, and and the man was was not for the war. As a matter of fact, this this man sent this the senator a letter, and he says, "Sir, I, I would I respectfully request you to to seek to pull all the troops out of of uh, the uh, all the troops out of Iraq." And he was not in support of that. So the senator, what he he did, what senators do. So he sent back a letter at first, and he says. Well, sir, I just want you to know that I strongly agree um, in in President Bush's resolution to send our troops over there, and it's for a good cause and all of that. And and then that was the first letter. But then there was a second letter that was sent. The second letter was completely different than the first. The second letter said something like this. Well, sir, I totally understand where you're coming from. I'm I'm on your side. I you know I I, I strongly oppose the war in Iraq too, and uh, and all of these things. So did you see that? And one letter is saying, yeah, you know I, I'm I'm for the war, but uh, for the war rather. But then on the other side, it says, no, I'm vehemently against the war. Now we would we would probably all, now if you're a politician, maybe you're hearing this. We do have a, a nationwide, worldwide audience. If you're a politician, I, I apologize if I offend you, but we kind of expect that kind of stuff out of politicians, right? Do, do we not? Are we like we expect them to kind of say something and maybe do something else? And you wouldn't be surprised by that. But when we are surprised, and what we should be shocked by is when people of faith do the same thing. Is when people of faith they they say something, but then they do something else. The little takeaway for this morning is the weight of our message is validated by the way that we live our life. The weight and just the the difference that it's going to make, the weight of our message is only, only, only validated by the way that we live out our faith and by the way that we live our life. Only. 
So as much as we say that we, we believe in Jesus and we do all these things and Jesus has set me free, if we do not live in a way that, that validates that message, then what does that say about us? It says that we are in the same way like that politician, that we are kind of double-minded. And James, which we'll be talking about more in 2015, says that a double-minded man is unstable in all that he does. So this message is we're in Advent, and you may be thinking, well, what's this have to do with Jesus? We're getting there, okay? But you, in the, the time of Advent, and for us, and as a church, as a group, as a body, is we are, we are preparing for Him while we're preparing for them. So in this message, it's preparing your heart for the difficult thing that you have to do. It's preparing your heart for the giving that you're supposed to do. It's preparing your heart for that conversation that you have been avoiding at all cost. And it's preparing you for when that conversation comes that not only you'll have the guts to say it, because honestly, that's not even spiritual. That's not even spiritual. That's just willpower. And what I believe the, the authority and the power that God offers is so much more than willpower. Amen? So I'm not talking about that. But what I'm talking about is the thing that you've been avoided, the difficult thing in your life, the thing that you tell everybody about, but maybe your life isn't consistent with your message. And the, the, the goal of today, if I, if, I believe if we're to do what it is that God wants us to do, that we would all rest in and understand that the weight of our message, the, the, the things that we talk about, the voice that we use, the message that we teach, and the message that we preach by uh, to others is validated by the way that we live. And if we get those two things in alignment, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, this text is quite interesting, and we, we jump into uh, just a very interesting character in the Bible. And the, the person we're going to jump into and in, in see about and hear about is a guy by the name of John the Baptist. Let me kind of give you his bio before we jump into the Word. Uh, John the Baptist was... The, he was the cousin of Jesus. He was filled with the Holy Spirit at birth, right? Like, while well, he was still, like, in his mother's womb, he had the Holy Spirit. You didn't have that. You should be envious. And yet, his, even his, the con, his conception within his mother, Elizabeth, was pronounced by an angel. Pretty big deal, right? Like, our, our archangel, it was like, hey, yeah, you're going to give birth to a son. And as a matter of fact... Even the ability for her to have a child at her old age was a miracle. So his, his conception was spoken about by an angel. He, his birth, he was conceived by a miracle of God. He lived his life separate than everybody else. The way that the people in Jerusalem and Judea, they would be doing their thing and they'd be living in such a way and, and, and all of these things. And we've talked about all the cultural differences that kind of existed the, with the Jewish people and the Greek influence and the Romans. They'd be doing their thing. Well, John was completely different. He actually, he, he lived in the wilderness. And it's not like wilderness like we think of pine trees and oak trees. It's kind of like desert. But he kind of lived in the wilderness. But he had a very profound message. And, and he, and, and there's not a whole lot of people in the Bible like this, so it's so important that we jump into kind of his message and see what he was about. There's not a whole lot of people in the, in the Bible where you see that what they say and the way that they live is so, so, so tight, is so close, that maybe that each of us should kind of peer in a little bit. And yet, he was, uh, his, his, his diet was wild honey and locust, 
We don't know if it's like locusts, like cicadas. A lot of people do. There's, there's actually some confusion on what locusts, uh, what they were in that culture. His clothes were of camel's hair. And he was, he was just a great preacher for God. He was just such a great preacher. As a matter of fact, it's estimated that there are around 300,000 people. Okay, now this isn't like L.A., New York, Atlanta, even a, a city like you know, Macon, where have a hundred or so thousand people. It was approximately 300,000 people would actually go to hear him preach. 300,000. In a very rural setting, he lived in the wilderness and they would go to him. He didn't like come into town and like go to the Dublin Theater and start handing out flyers, right? Send them to all the churches, be like, hey, I'm coming to town. Got a preacher coming to town. Got to bring some good news. He didn't do that. His life and his, his message and his life were so, so, so tight. They were so close. They were so true to one another because of the way that he lived. And just to let you know how important this guy is, he baptized Jesus. He baptized Jesus. What a privilege. What an honor. Luke 3, starting in verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... By the way, this is around uh, A.D. 27 or 28. When Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert. This would be his message. This would be his voice. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, and the crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. That means that this would be prophet. This was prophesied approximately 700 years before the birth of Jesus. But it was prophesied not only about John the Baptist, but then also leaning in about Jesus. So, if you are a Christian and you do not have a Jewish lineage, this is talking about you. This is talking about you. He says, and all mankind will see God's salvation, all mankind, beyond the Jewish people, onto the Gentiles, and of which if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Verse 7, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for, for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good, produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Stop right there. So imagine this. This audience is coming out to John. They're Jewish. They're saying, hey, we're descendants of Abraham, we're good. And John says, what makes you think you're so good? Just because of your family line? Like that would be so easy to dismiss and just kind of push that away and be like, I'm not Jewish, it doesn't pertain to me. Think about this in in this way. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, why do you say you're a follower of Jesus? I think what's what the, the, the greater thing to bring out of this little section here, just a commentary on this section, is we don't just we're not just Christians because we say we're Christians. We're not Christians just because we live in the South. We're not Christians because we, we attend church either regularly or irregularly. You only become a follower of Jesus when you place your life into his. And you acknowledge him as God and Savior. And you surrender your life to him and say, I, I accept the, the, the sacrifice, the, the, what you did on the cross on my behalf to take away my sin. See, that's what this audience, they would say, no, 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 I'm good. I'm innocent by association. I'm Jewish, so I'm innocent. I'm clean. I have no need for any of these things, John. And yet, we can live the same way. We can say, well, I'm a Christian. And you could go through and you could say, I'm a Christian because I've done this and because I've done this and because I've done this and because I've done this, which all of those, some of those rather could be right and some of those could be wrong. But you're, if you're, you say, well, I'm a Christian, you should say, I'm a Christian because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I exchanged my life for his life and the life that he promises. And in return for that, the great exchange is he gives me eternal life. That's what should be said there. Verse 10. The crowd asks a very, very good question. A very good question. What should we do then? John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him which has none, and the one who has food should do the same. 